Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. It's another day in the COVID area. I look forward to the first day I get to stay post-COVID era. That would be great. That will be a very happy day for all of us. I'm really looking forward to that. I want to bring attention to a very important cause today. The UK has already done it. The United States has done it. Canada has been working on this for quite a while as well. They would also like to raise awareness and let everybody know that the entertainment industry, the live events community is, is in a dark place right now. We, we don't have our livelihood. We don't have our passion. We don't have our, our jobs. We, there's a lot of things that are just on hold and we don't really see an end in sight. So I wanted to invite a, a, a new friend of mine to the podcast to kind of spread the word and raise some awareness for what can be done and how we can show support to each other. Joining me today is Morgan Myler. He is the co-founder of Live Event Community and the vice president of Yahtzee Local 58 out of Canada, Ontario. Thank you so much for joining me, Morgan. I appreciate it. Uh, I really appreciate the chance to talk. And yes, won't there be dancing in the streets, on stages, and everything else when COVID is over? By nature, I'm a hugger. I, lo- I, I don't do well with like the elbow bump or the fist bump and I, and I, I can do it, but I, I'm a hugger guy and I, I want to get back to that pretty bad. Look forward to that. I totally Just being agree. able to sit in a room with somebody and sit within a very close proximity and stare in the same direction and enjoy the, the unity and the solidarity of just you know, expressing love and getting a reaction. I can't wait to get back to that. Yeah. I think we're all in this industry, expressive humans and we, we, we touch and we talk and we tell our stories and uh, that makes us kind of unique in the fact that it's very hard to not be around your coworkers because your coworkers are all your friends. And you do give them a hug and you don't see them forever. And you walk into a venue uh, when you're on tour or if you're the local guy and all of a sudden two guys haven't seen each other in six months walk around and hey, how you doing? And the hugs happen. And that's not happening anywhere right now. No. And an air hug is just a a shell of a real hug. Like I go in and and I have to announce like, hey, we're going in for an air hug here. And it's just, it ain't right. No. Not cool. Not cool at all. I, I, I hate when people go in for the handshake because you know it's, it's coming in with the best of intentions. And you're like, ah, oh, you got, I, we don't do that right now. It's a temporary thing. It's a Band-Aid where we don't, we don't go in for the handshake right now. And so then you try and like contort your hand into the, 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 the fist bump. And then that gets awkward. And then somebody tries to go for the elbow bump and you're like, ah, you guys, well, let's get, let's get over this. Let's get through this as soon as possible. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It is the way of life that we've all done it for the last 30 years. And then you, you, you're right. You redirect, you do the redirect and everyone feels awkward and you're uh, okay. Well, I'm over this now. Uh, I still love you, but I gotta, we can't touch. And yeah, it is, it is uh, (laughs) a, It's so a temporary band-aid because, you know, we, we have to understand the best way to protect each other is by being apart and we get that. And so we do it, but it's not natural at all. Uh, uh-uh. uh, in fact, I felt like there was a lot of momentum going towards increasing the amount of hugs that people were giving. Cause we were kind of getting away from hugs for a while. And then we're like, Hey you guys, we need to start hugging again. 
and now we're it's kind of a setback on the on the hug movement you know getting just getting men to give a, a hug with a pat on the back was we were making some progress there and now we get to take a little break from that yeah i so. think i think just before the pandemic i think what one of the things that we were really focusing on in our industry is that there's uh, mental health issues uh yeah mental, you know and that men uh, and women you know in the industry were not uh, getting the support they needed. And they were going through tough times. I mean, before COVID, we, uh, we saw suicides in the industry. We saw people that just couldn't take it anymore. And we've seen it probably to a bit of a greater degree after COVID for sure. And uh, the thing that, that we were doing is like touch, hug, you know, let you know you're supported, you're not alone. And the only way that we say this really well is by hugging, it seems, uh, or putting out your hand and shaking it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that is a, a very good example there. That's the hugging was part of a much larger movement to raise awareness for mental health and mental stability and just being vulnerable enough to say, man, I'm, I'm not in a good space. I need a hug. I need to talk. I need to, I need your support, uh, either, whether it be a phone call or a touch or uh, even a digital touch. Like just, just like my posts. That's the bare minimum anybody can do. Just <laughs> like some posts where I say something, where I, I voiced my opinion. I mean, obviously that's the, the bare minimum. But I mean, follow that like up with a phone call. Follow that up with a lunch invitation. And all of that's been robbed from us right now for – and now it's completely switched where our, the way we show support to each other is to not touch each other. How weird is that? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really anti what we were trying to do in the beginning. And it's really not where we should be, but yeah. we're forced there. And we're not alone. We should know that. Uh, I mean, yeah. look at what's going on now with the Light Up Live. Uh, these are people standing together, uh, and you should look at all your kin across the countries, uh, across Canada, across the U.S. Uh, we're all facing the same plight. So it's kind of funny that it, we're just doing it all in a, what we see as physical isolation, and that that's hard on people. And so if we what we need to do really is we need to do extra reaching out we need to do more vocal and we also need to do something which you know is incredibly hard for men but vocalize it yeah hug, we got there but we need to like call that person and say you know i love you and and i really do and i want to see you succeed and i i know it's a hard time and then ask questions and then after you say something listen and let them talk because they're not reaching out and then sometimes you hear some astonishing things and sometimes you hear the mundane things and, you know, the kids are doing this or, but it's all important. Right. And that, that physical connection, you try to replace with good communication verbally and also dangerous communication. Cause if you tell somebody you love them, what's that mean for you? How do you deal with that? You know, and what does that mean for them? How do they take it? And so that's part of society, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you Man, that's a, you're absolutely right. What does what are the ramifications of saying I love you to a fellow work a coworker? Because it's it's honest. You like you know that we deep in our hearts somewhere we love everybody to to a, to varying degrees, of course. But but we do, and we have to be able to acknowledge that. And say, hey, no, I I have love for you in my heart, and and that's honest. Yeah man and now as you know as well as anybody one of the ways that we used to do that we used to express love was to come together and sit in a room toronto knows more than most that even during the sars thing well how do we show love for everybody we we throw big events and we we show the world and we video it and we we share it to the world like look look at all this love in this room right here yeah i totally agree and i and we did that unfortunately this is a bit of a different situation we're not going to be able to throw that hail mary pass in and do a giant <laughs> rolling stones concert where everybody no. goes woohoo uh and show the love um it's 
it's just a different different thing and so we have to show i think love understanding and a little patience and those things are not things that have been necessarily always cultivated in our society <laughs> normally it's like no. get it going we got to go now and i'm really angry it's not working out the way i thought it would be yes i think we've uh, i think we've spoken about all the things we can't do let's talk about what we are going to do let's talk about light up live here and how we can uh, show support and solidarity uh yeah absolutely and i think i think this has been a great uh message for everybody here across the world uh that these backstage workers uh catering all the supply chain uh, that have normally been unseen where people uh, don't know. They just go to the concert. They go to their theater. They go to their local DJ. They don't know the hours put into that one hour show. And so now everyone's visible. And so what we're going to do is, is show that in Canada. We're going to show it on September 22nd. We're going to light Canada up red. Uh, lightituplive.ca is where we're tracking all that information. We're going to track it on a map. Uh, people can register there. Uh, and that is important because not only is it going to show government, which probably doesn't know the scope of how many people are affected, not just in the arts, where there's artists and technicians, the catering, the merch person, uh, the bar around the corner that took the patrons after the show. They don't necessarily know the scope of that, but it's also to say, hey, uh, my, my brother up there on the West Coast, I see you and I mm -hmm. appreciate you. And I love you too. And my brother out there on the East Coast, I see you and my sister and my kin here and mm -hmm. whoever you choose to be and identify, we all know that we're going to light this light red and tell each other we love each other. Yeah. So if anybody is interested in helping out, you can go to lightuplive.ca and it will give you all the information. It'll tell you all the things that you can do. You can send in a video you can post a, an I am live event selfie. You can reach out to any of your local venues to turn them red. I'm sure that there's a local lighting vendor somewhere near you that has some, some park hands available, some LED park hands. There's lots of people with lots of gear sitting in warehouses right now. Uh, if you've got uh, uh, a handful of dollars to give them to rent some park hands, that would be a huge benefit to everybody involved just get some money circulating through the through the events community i saw that there's quite a bit of facebook activity already going on i found the the hashtags can you talk about some of the hashtags so obviously everything's about branding nowadays and trying to find it and uh you know catching up with that so light up live is one of the hashtags and the other one is and i may have butchered that but i'm going to put it out there uh we have two official languages up here in Canada. They're both amazing languages and we have amazing technicians that speak uh, either or, or both languages. I'm not one of them. I understand more than I will ever be able to speak. Uh, and that's to my detriment. <laughs> my children are in French immersion and they've already surpassed my high school French. I can get the root words. I can read the signs. That's about the extent of my my French. I'm getting there. I'm working on it. I, I love Canada's diversity. I mean, we are diverse uh, communities all across, and partially because we're isolated by geography, but just partially because we chose to maintain it. And the it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I've toured through uh, Quebec, Montreal, and the technicians have had no problem, even when they don't speak English, understanding, because we have a universal language as technicians, right? We, yeah. They, they know this stuff. And at the very base level, we can even fire pyro without almost any misunderstanding. Uh, but uh, it, go, yeah. it, it works well in, in that. But it is... Yeah, it's a truly diverse country when it comes to that. And we have great technicians all over the place. And we wanted to make sure that it was all encompassing. We've even tried to translate a good portion of the website. Uh, but being that uh, two of the people running it, uh, well, everybody that got this off the ground sort of thing, uh, we're all English. And we had to reach out. We actually reached out initially to CITT, Monique at CITT. And she was the one that helped us with some initial translations. And then we got some other people on board after that, that uh, worked hard on what we could to get translated so that uh, all of the people of Canada could participate.
That's amazing. So one of the things that we have to clear up is this, because a lot of people have asked me like, hey, didn't we already do this on September 1st? I'm like, well, no, that was the, the American one. And that was September 1st. And that was We Make Events. And even though America and Canada are the same continent, there's two very different systems at the, at the 100th parallel. The messages are different. What Canada is doing by Lighting Up Live is a little bit different from what the American coalition was doing. The, the asks and the requests are a little bit different. In America, they're asking to extend unemployment beyond what the normal worker would be expecting because as a lot of people know, entertainment is gonna be the last one back. Uh, a lot of people are going back to work now and a lot of people are breathing a sigh of relief going like, oh, well, that's over now. Like, well, no, it's not over for a lot of people. And in America, they like, please, even if you, even if you start to tighten up the, the floodgates, there's an entire industry and a very major industry that still needs support. In Canada, it's a little bit differently. I hope you can speak to a little bit of the differences of what the, what the, the point and what the, the requests are for the Canadian Light Up Live. So when you're looking at, we are one integrated industry, let's face it, North True. America. We tour, yeah. we see each other, we bring acts up from the US all the time. Some acts go down uh, from Canada. A lot of Canadian technicians work uh, in the US uh, and it's an amazing place to be. I, it's my, my second home in some cases, uh, traveling in the US. The difference though is, is that our government really, although they may not have understood the scope or maybe they did, maybe this is all they could do, but they, they did look at and put hundreds of millions of dollars into artists. Uh, and I think it's without fact checking it right off the top of my head, but in my memory, it was 500 million that they put out to our industry. Uh, maybe it's 50. Anyways, I think it's 500, but the point is- We're not fact checkers. It we're is, not fact checking. I, yeah. I, you know what? I, I always get the numbers uh, messed up. But anyways, the point is they've actually put investment, not, and that's just in trying to maintain the systems. Uh, they missed some supply chain, I think. They missed some other things, but they really uh, tried to encapsulate with other programs, like a loan program to small businesses, to uh, SUSE, which was a income replacement uh, plan for up to 75% for workers that you could keep on staff, uh, to what we had initially was the CERB, where the government said, listen, if you're a freelancer, if you haven't filed your tax, if you haven't done whatever, we're going to catch up with you later. But right now, make the application, get it in and survive. And yeah. here's, you know, you'll be eligible for this, this money based on how much you put in. And so they did that and they tightened up the rules and they changed them. And then eventually everybody will translate in, uh, into some workers insurance afterward. But the point was the government really realized there was a problem generally in Canada. Uh, and they specifically mentioned gig workers, which not everybody's covered by a collective agreement. Not everyone's an employer and the entertainment uh, industry. It's vital. We all survive, whether you're covered under a collective agreement or not. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's fundamentally uh, between that, the subsidies uh, given the rent, they also did some rent relief uh, programs, depending on your province. Uh, they uh, did some things provincially. The Canada Council did some things uh, with grants. Uh, so there's, there's money flowing into the arts. But what the difference is, uh, well, and we're saying it needs to continue because we are the first out and we're so going to be the last back into the game and contributing to the economy. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel also that like with the U.S. and a lot of places, there was nothing. It, it was it was little to nothing. It was an unemployment system that's probably marginal at best. Uh, I haven't yeah. had any personal experience with it. And down there, and Michael Strickland, I believe, was the one who put the uh, major initiative out. And I appreciate everything he does because trying to do it on my end, I, I know how much work it is. Uh, absolutely was asking, like, see us, but support us because we're not – we're not going to be there when you need us again. And that's really the big thing up here as well. If we're not supported throughout the entire time, we won't be able to support the artists. We won't be there when you need. We'll transition to other jobs. We will 
not be there. We'll have, we'll have left those markets. And that would be a tragedy because there's a lot of amazing talent, both artists, technicians, all the aspects, right? Designers, you name it. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's one of the things I've always been uh, happy to see. And I see it to a large degree in North in America, but I see it to an even stronger degree in Canada where I see uh, unions willing to really support each other regardless of relationship. Basically, because you're here, if you're in the union, we're going to support you. If you're out of the union, we're still going to help. We're still going to try and raise the bar for you. There's still education available. Can you speak a little bit to about how the unions work in Canada as opposed to America? So my, my obviously my major uh, experiences with the entertainment union in Canada, and they have supported uh, workers for, well, since well before the pandemic and done what I consider an excellent job. They have, uh, during this, uh, I, and I, I can speak a lot for my local specifically, but we maintained uh, benefits for our workers, we, for our uh, members. We provided uh, emotional supports and mental health resources. Uh, we continued to support the membership as best we could in dues relief, uh, and even the international did that. But we also look at the rest of the industry and understand everybody's important. And part of what I'm doing, obviously, uh, is for the rest of uh, the kin in the industry and the way it works, um, just sort of in a different channel. But it's still supported by, obviously, Light Up Live is supported by uh, the International in Canada, as uh, we make events was supported by uh, IATSE down in the States. And I think one of the things we don't, one of the things people don't realize is the more unions involved in a culture, the more there seems to be a middle class. There is data that suggests that the people that work for unions and the more that unions have penetration in a market, there's more of a middle class. Yeah. It's, I don't know if it ever made headline news, but uh, in the last few years, Canada took over as the, the country with the richest middle class. And a lot of that has to do with the prevalence of unions, not just in entertainment, but in, in culinary, in education. Uh, there are some really strong unions in Canada and they, they speak up for the people and they, they, they stand up to, to mega corporations like, yeah, you, you should totally come here and do business, but only if you're going to support the people in a way that's sustainable. And that raises the, the bar for everybody else who wants to do business there. I agree. And I think one of the things that's really crucial to note when it comes to union, and especially IATSE, is that, that our workforce is changing. And there's a lot of younger, motivated, uh, socially minded individuals that are, are looking to make not just the industry better, but society better. And it helps them gather and make a unified voice, helps them advocate for workers. And, and the reality is if, if you have a good paycheck, you can go home, you can spend time on those things if you want. You can actually have a bit of a, a life outside work. If you don't have a good paycheck, we all know what it's like working pay, pay, paycheck to paycheck, it's hard. And so mm -hmm. uh, it's not just about the money, obviously, because we, we wanna raise the, the union works to raise the floor in education. Uh, I know in Local 58, we offer, uh, education to permits or people that come to work for us that may not be members for cost. So whereas wow. I'm working at, yeah, like a working at Heights ticket runs anywhere from what, $120 to $210, depending on how they're trying to gouge you. And we literally run it at cost. And it's been a little more money since the pandemic because we were following safety protocol. But right. uh, anyone uh, can contact me and if they've worked for us uh, or they plan on working for us and they, they need these re required certificates, we train them. Uh, 873 does that as well. They do it at basic cost. So if you're going to work a movie or anything like that, uh, you require certain tickets like working at Heights and your lift training uh, and forklift if you need that or telehandler, they run the courses as regular as they can. And uh, you could take those for cost where you're not at the mercy of a market trying to hit construction or, and let's face it, if you're a freelancer and you might not be making a lot of money, 200 bucks is a lot of money. 
And so yeah. it's better to bring it down to cost because it's a necessity to work. Yeah, I am. I fall in that category. I am not a member of the union. It, things just haven't worked out that I've had the time or anything. But I know I'm 100% positive that I benefit from the unions being present and being strong because they raise the level or the expectations. They raise the safety standards. Everything gets lifted to a certain degree, thanks to the unions. I'm, I'm eternally thankful for that. Uh, even though I'm not a member, I will always stand and support unions because of that. Cause I know I can see the benefits. Everybody is a potential union member. Yeah. You know, it, it, yep. And maybe there is a, there could be a very, various number of reasons, right? I, I think IATSE represents some of the uh, most professional uh, technicians, not saying there isn't non-union technicians or professional. I think there's, a, I have yep. tons of friends that aren't union, even union minded, and they're amazing technicians. It's not to say uh, that it, what it is to say is I think it's really good to be part of an organization that's got your back. Absolutely. It's really good that they will almost bend over backwards to try to uh, make sure workers are protected. They'll, they'll, you know, and sure. Everyone's got that story, right? Everyone's yeah. got that story. This bad thing happened. Yeah. One story. Nobody tells the good stories. No one tells the, no. you know, and maybe that's part of this light, the Canada red. Like I, we, we said right in our media, tell a good story. You talk about missing it, but also tell why you miss it. Tell why you miss your families, why you're doing these things. And, and that's also with the union. Like, people should be telling good stories about the union too. Uh, union is the union is me and the other members. It's not like some big giant hierarchy. It, I mean, there are elected leaders and things like that, but it's really the union as good as the members that are involved in it. And right now, there's youth involved in it and there's idealistic people involved in it and they want to help everybody and they want to make things better. We have a young workers committee. That's amazing. And they, they reach out and they work for charities and they give money to the food bank. And I actually gives money to the food bank. Uh, you know, they do a fundraising drive. Uh, the actors funded Canada, they, they gave millions of dollars to the actors funded Canada at the top of the pandemic. I I'm positive that happened, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, but the, the reality is, is that, and I, they give, you know, they go out and they give back to their communities, uh, whether it's with education, whether it's with any number of reasons. And, and yes, we negotiate collective agreements and yes, they, they have rules in those collective agreements where you come to a house and you may be a tour guy and you're a little miffed because the collective agreement says you can't do that. Okay. But why can't you do that? Have you thought about that? Is there a reason? Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's in the collective agreement and, and that collective agreement is negotiated by the employer and the union. It's not like it's the union rules. It is the rules. I mean, it was a negotiation that made that happen. It wasn't right. like, it's amazing to think somebody, some people have misconceptions of what happens at, in, at that level. And yeah. so, but all those rules are generally to protect workers, generally to protect some work to put money in the pocket of the people that maintain it every day instead of the tour, uh, you know, uh, one guy coming in and often the tour guys get to do stuff. It's the world's changed quite a bit, but you know, I'm. Yeah. Uh, I had a conversation just the other day about that, about, uh, about harnesses. It came up from the mask thing and which led to harnesses and the sign just says no harnesses or you have to wear harnesses. Right. But what you don't get to see, and this is what you just touched on is, the sign says you have to wear a harness. What it can't fit on the sign is, well, you have to wear a harness because another guy didn't and then he got hurt and then it cost us this amount of money and he got, you know, he went to the hospital and now he's out, you know, he busted his leg and that his, his family was out of thing. And all the people see is like, well, why do I have to harness? I, you know, I've never been hurt. Well, so, well, you know, the, the statistics aren't in your favor. Some, it only takes one person to get hurt not wearing a harness for everybody to have to wear a harness. That's a, and that's why the collective agreements exist because, you know, that was not only did a person get hurt, but it, got, it was really expensive too. So now everybody has to wear a harness. It's just a really long sign. You can't fit all that. I, yeah. And I'm pretty sure at the beginning of every accident, someone said, well, that never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
like at, yeah. the, at, the, at the beginning of every situation that ended up where it was unfavorable to somebody, someone said, well, that never happened before. Yep. Well, of course it didn't. And then finally it did. <laughs> and then people had, you know, and whether it was the health and safety committee or whether it was a collective agreement or whatever it was, or maybe the union advocate came down and said, well, you know, the, this and this happened and it, we need to fix this problem, whether it got into the collective agreement or not, it became a house rule kind of thing. Yeah. It all starts. I'm pretty sure with that never happened before things. <laughs> or it did. That's when the government or lawyers get involved. Yeah. Well, that happened before. And then everybody walks away sheepishly from it. And you okay. look at, well, who was responsible? What? What do you mean that happened before? <laughs> well, why didn't we fix the problem? And I think, I think that's also part of our industry now, right? Where we used to run around, let's face it, with maybe seat harnesses out of climbing gear yep. and, and, or, or belts. Uh, people want to go home to their families. Yep. So, and I think maybe they always did. We're still invested, but I think the safety equipment's come up. The training has come up. The, take advantage of the training. Take advantage of the safety equipment. Uh, take advantage of the knowledge of all the people that have passed before us that have said, well, that never happened before, so now we need to fix it. <laughs> and we take that and we put it into our codexes and we put it into our labor law and we put it into our collective agreements and we say, okay, so if it does happen, at least we had a fighting chance against it. As a species, we're so, we're very clever when properly motivated, we're very clever but we also have a very short memory or attention span. Even if something happened or somebody got hurt, it seems like it's just a matter of weeks that we just forget that that happened, you know? And so the, the, the more clever among us are like, we should write that down that that happened <laughs> so that we can remember that it happened. And we, we put it on a contract or an assignment. So I'm like, yeah, that definitely happened one time when somebody wasn't wearing a harness. But then it, all it takes is the new breed of people or a fresh bunch of people to come in. They're like, well, it never happened for us. Well, well, it has happened. And see, we wrote it down. It's right here. So remember that that happened. And let's, let's do our very best to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I think so. I think you've also summed up politics as well. There. <laughs> That's why we write things down. It's why we should write things down. Um, <laughs> The, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't say that. I agree with you hundred percent. I believe yeah. that, that, and you're right. It is the people and those people are the unsung heroes. Like let, let's face it, the safety advocates that, oh, yeah. that, that, you know, and, and they get, uh, you know, there's nothing like, well, I don't need to wear a hard hat. Okay. Thanks for your input. I appreciate it. Can you put your hard hat on now? Well, you said I don't need to wear a hard hat so many times that so many people got hurt that they've actually put it into law. So instead yeah. of us, and that's the other thing, like our industry is different, right? We do things that construction uh, sometimes does, but very rarely. We walk around in beans and that's an iron worker thing, right? right. And, and they're covered by their collective agreements. But we have, we come into some very special scenarios, I think, uh, in our, around safety. You know, we stand on stages that are ten, over 10 feet tall with no guardrails around them. Well, yeah. in, in Ontario, that's a no-no. They're like, no, you got to put a guardrail on there. Well, that would really suck when you have your artist singing in front of a guardrail. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we have self, we've done a really good job at self-regulating. We and have done to. a really good job at, at doing that in the past. And I think we have with some tragedies and some terrible exceptions done a very good job at safety uh, at self-regulating but one of the things we will see is is that when we don't do that government steps in and they start writing the rules yep and then it's very hard for us to do our jobs and i think all of us like the entire industry like i said safety advocates kind of get a bad rap so like oh man that guy again and no that guy's great you should talk to them and find yeah. out why and, and make it happen. And then if we self-regulate, then we don't have so much outside interference from our, our industry. We kind of write our own rules. I will be fully honest. And I have been a much younger version of me was that person. I was the one that believed in the exceptionalism. Like, well, those people have to wear one, but I'm, I'm the programmer. I'm only going to be, I'm going to be out of front of house. I'm not under anything. I'm only going to be under the stage for a minute. I don't need to wear a hard hat. And then next thing you know, I go on stage for what I think is going to be a minute and I'm there for 
20 minutes and then all of a sudden the safety guy comes to me and he's like you got to wear a hard hat i'm like well oh i'll just go back to run a house and then next thing you know something else comes up and i got to come back on stage next thing you know i'm the one guy on stage without a hard hat and then everybody sees me and they're like well he's not wearing one and like ah and then it just spreads and and a much wiser me has realized like that was that was dumb that was irresponsible of me and now it's up to me to write that down and tell everybody like, no, that's, that was dumb. That was irresponsible. <laughs> and I'm going to flip that for you. So if you're a tour guy and you've come into a venue and you know that hard hats are a good idea, or maybe you're fighting it, but you're also a leader, right? We're all leaders in our industry in one way or another. And the thing is, is that people, you know, they want to see good leadership. And yep. so you wearing the hard hat. Yeah. You're only on stage for 10 minutes. You're five minutes, two seconds. But then somebody comes along and they go, hey, that guy's wearing a hard hat. So their aversion to being safety-minded goes away because the leaders are doing it. The people that they, you know, the, the sound guy that wants to be the tour guy that really is interested in being a, a tour personnel and sees their, their idol walking around not being safe. Well, then, well, I don't need that. That person's cool enough not to do it. You know, and so I think what we need to do is we need to redefine the way we lead each other, right? Whether it's at the very small level or at the very large level, uh, people who lead must do so with, uh, you know, uh, that in mind that, that they are, people are looking towards, you know, you might just feel like a tour stage hand, but you don't know who's looking at you and going, that's the guy I want to be. That's true. That's true. It's, uh, it's hard to remember at that exact moment, but you're absolutely true. One of the things I wanted to go over was what safety standards are going to be like post COVID. And I think that you can speak to that a little bit more than some others because you, you're also a part of the education team for the, for the Yahtzee 58, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And we, uh, we actually restarted training uh, pretty much earlier than most people did in Ontario. Uh, we had to write out a, an extensive safety plan uh, to make sure that people uh, felt safe when they came to the training. It's all about trust. You want to make sure that they feel safe and they are safe. Yep. Uh, so we wrote a, an extensive plan. I think the, we are, again, back to that communal industry. Uh, we'll be on stage and we share a microphone. We'll be on stage and we'll share a headset microphone in theater, right? Multiple cast members on what yep. like to save the dollar on the budget. Uh, I think just the concept that we need to wrap our minds around of rental gear. Well, that gear left, let's say, this venue at 12.30 at night and the company had no turnaround. How many times has that happened? And the, the rental gear that went out to a different show, to a bunch of different technicians one night, showed up first thing in the morning at the next venue. Well, was it cleaned, sterilized, or, or at least sanitized? We don't know. And so I think there is some great documents the IA has put out, uh, the International has put out for the restart, especially for the movies. There is documents that... Uh, the uh, Event Safety Alliance has worked on. I, was, I had the pleasure of looking over that document and helping with that. Uh, those documents are out there to be uh, look as examples. Uh, and it, it talks about everything from the way people are going to handle food at the bar. Uh, but because, because that relationship also between our audience and our artists and technicians are so tight, like without an audience, we don't really have a show. And without a show, there's no audience and the energy that flows between them when that happens. And, but it also means that hundreds of people in a venue breathing and sweating uh, on the front of house cable, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. Or even to the lesser degree to some of those very special concerts where they've been, you know, sick on the front of house cable. Yep. Uh, how uh, the, the, the riggers or the people who take down the barricades. Well, people have been shoving against them at their favorite act and yep. bleeping on them in some cases or sneezing on them. And so because of that, I think our industry is going to change. Uh, I think even after a vaccine, our industry is going to change in the way yep. that it operates. I think we'll see more seated events, less standing room events. There's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that people who are very, very smart, again, those safety people. You know, safety people. They're thinking about this and they're trying to, and you know, the safety people are talking to other friends, the lawyers. Yep. And they're trying to make sure that, you know, people don't end up losing their livelihoods over this. So I think, I think 
safety should be paramount. And I think, again, this goes back to your leadership, your leadership concern. You know, you're doing it out. Well, where's the masks? Well, what masks? Well, uh, are masks being provided by the employer? Oh, yeah. Are gloves being provided by the employer? Uh, if there's a biologicals, are they being cleaned up? Or do they have the ability to do that? Uh, who will do that? And I think on a very basic level, we really need to bring that safety to the forefront. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, microphones are one of the, the biggest offenders of what you're talking about. I mean, we know that COVID is transmitted through spit and droplets. And a microphone is literally a spit collector. It is just collecting all the spit. And if you were to just take a microphone from you and hand it to the next person, you're literally like, here, here's, my, here's a collection of my spit. Can you put your mouth next to my spit collector? It, it, these are just the little things that a safety officer would be like, hey, you guys know that's a collection of spit right there, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a Petri dish. we're gonna grow cultures and later on they'll probably clone somebody from aerosmith from the spit (laughs) that was on a microphone we're waiting for the technology yeah and and our industry we were known to be very we were pirates uh not not terribly long ago when we were we would brag about all the the nasty things we had done and the unsafe things we had done. And we're, I think we're moving away from that. I think we're, we've realized that we need to be more sustainable and that requires an amount of safety precautions. You know, maybe you shouldn't be uh, cleansing that front of house cable full of vomit without gloves on. It's, that's it, that's all we're asking. Maybe try to not get the vomit on your skin. That'd be great. <laughs> I think, and I think that goes back to how we tell stories. This really bad thing happened and blah, blah, blah. And I was this really, I was this pirate and I arg and everybody gets a good laugh. And then, but no one says, man, I went to work today and I got everything done and I, everything was safe and it was great. And I went home to my family. What story you listened to at the bar? That was so boring. So boring. <laughs> you almost put me to sleep. Exactly. But there's the exciting part, right? The exciting yep. part is he went home to his family and nobody got hurt. Yep. And that, that is the exciting part. And I, I'm not saying we're going to change the narrative. There's always going to be <laughs> the way we're going here. I mean, I, I like a good <laughs> ARG story already, right? Uh, but I think, I think it's going to be cooler to be safe. Uh, I think it's going to be, uh, and there's so, you know, just for a bunch of people who kind of like technology, think of all the cool technologies there are to keeping us safe. Right, like a roll glist 550. It's a it's a rescue item. It's a, a it allows you to lower people in or take them up. You get a screw gun, you can wheel somebody up to 90 feet. That's a kind of a cool thing. And I look forward to safety training when I can go jump off of a beam in a building in a completely safe manner and be rescued by my peers as a practice exam. You know, that's that's that we need to look at it. We need to frame. Oh my God, we got to go through safety training again. No. We have to say, hey, I'm looking forward to that. I get to work on a plan that could save somebody's life. Absolutely. I would love for that story to be this guy was climbing up a ladder and he fell and the, the fall arrestor caught him and he, we had to like go up there and we had to get a lift to save him. I want that story. That's the pirate story I want to hear. I don't want to hear the he fell and he broke both, both his legs. Yeah, and, and, and even to the point, the pirate, yeah, the pirate story needs to be, we had a plan, and everybody executed it, and he was down on the ground before the uh, trauma could bother him. Or, you know, he had yep. a heart attack on a beam, and he fell off of it, and we saved him, and he got down to paramedics fast enough. Those are the pirate stories. Those are the actionable things that, you know, and, and that's really, you know, where we say, you know, we can go, arg, but there's a hero pirate I like, I want the hero pirate stories. Absolutely. We totally need the, the, the hero pirates. Um, the other thing that unions do to make our industry sustainable is provide financial assistance after, after work, the pensions and stuff like that. That is something that as a freelancer, I don't have. I, I mean, I do it on my own and I have to work really hard and I have to be very diligent about it. 
but that's built into the union system. Uh, I feel like that's something that a lot of people can forget about that we can't do this forever. We love it to that. We want to do entertainment forever well into our elder years, but you know, sometimes we need that amount of support that that financial support after our bones start to break down and after our backs are exhausted. Can you speak to why that's so important? Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, not everyone's going to be a designer or not everyone's going to be a board op, right? We're going to have people that work in this industry and they just may be a stagehand. They may love that. They may love to show up and do those calls. And the union, and mileage may vary. I mean, some locals do things different. I, I could definitely speak to Local 58. You know, we, okay. have, an edu- we have an education plan and the education plan provides uh, free education to the members or supplemented in- education. So if somebody comes in with a, a very big ask, we need to consider the health of the plan. Uh, We have a uh, health and welfare plan that will look after glasses and all the stuff like in Canada here, we have this really great public healthcare system, but there are some things that aren't covered. So we have Mm -hmm. a a supplemental system for those who work, right? For those who are working and contribute to it. Uh, We have baked into that a, a mental health package so that people can immediately through a EAP app, get some uh, mental health uh, help uh, with a crisis button if they're really in trouble. And, and so in Local 58, we have a lot of services. Uh, the collective, all of us have purchased for ourselves. So, so if you're a guy with a family of four, your family gets those services. I'm a single guy myself. I, I have a significant other and she's amazing. Uh, but uh, we both work uh, for the respective different unions. We work for the same unions and different ones at the same time where she has a plan over at 873 as well. But we both work and we're relatively healthy and I, I pay those uh, small percentages uh, overall to help the person with a family of four. And you can't really get that as a single independent contractor. You can't lower the cost of insurances. You can't, uh, you know, you're paying into your, uh, RSPs are different, obviously, in Canada, but we each individually pay into our RSP with a, an employer contribution as well. But as far as the health and welfare is concerned, uh, collectively, we have the strength to get a better plan at a lower rate. Uh, and that is one of the definite benefits of a union and uh, pensions, definitely uh, RSP contributions and a collective plan uh, that's managed well, uh, it, it's, you know, doing well. And that is the benefits of membership, uh, those type of programs. That is amazing. That is the, the solidarity and the unity that is, that is in our industry as a whole and in unions in general. That is, that's why we do this. Yeah, I would just want to refresh the audience on what it is that we came to talk about today. The website is lightuplive.ca. It is uh, September 22nd. As uh, soon as the sun goes down, we are trying to convince as many people as we can get to turn as many venues red. And it doesn't have to be a live event venue. It can be your bathroom. It can be your front, uh, your front yard. It can be uh, your local bar. It can be anything that, anything that you can take red, take a photo, leave it red for as long as you can. If anybody asks why you're turning something red, feel free to tell them that you know the entertainment industry needs your support. Whether it just be a, a Facebook share or a letter to your uh, MP or uh, just uh, your local elected representative, just say, hey, just remember that the, the live events community is there for you when you need it, and they need you right now. The more things we can turn red, the better. On September 1st, I was in the, United, in the U.S., and I just, my entire timeline was red, and it made me realize all my friends come from our industry it was tough i'm like oh my god all everybody i know my entire you know after 30 years in this industry everybody i know is from my job this this is it right this is our family we're talking about here this is an industry of relationships family supports tour managers production staff 
uh, people that are running the venues, uh, IATSE locals, freelancers that gather together that work for different companies uh, that see each other on a regular basis. This is these are our families. These are the the home away from home because we we spend uh, an inordinate amount of time at work, uh, hours upon hours bringing shows where they're setting up. It's funny, you know, the story was where they're setting up before the audience comes and we're there long after uh, taking it down. And the pandemic's pulling the same malarkey, except we're the first ones out and we're going to be the last ones back. And, yep. and that is that is what also uh, lighting this night up on September 22nd is about. It's not just about showing the world, but it's about showing each other we're all still here. We're still here pulling for each other. We're, the family's still there and we're, we're, we're struggling to stay intact. We're struggling to uh, be there for each other, but we're still there. And so everybody can get out there, uh, post the hashtag uh, across the country, show uh, that you're there for the same people. Uh, we all may be apart right now, uh, but we're all in this together. Absolutely. Thank you so much for making time to sit with me. I really appreciate it. It's been a good day, Morgan. I, I look forward to seeing uh, another red timeline i'm gonna send out a few more emails and see what we can do to get uh, some more people in windsor to light it light up live and uh thank you so much for sitting with me uh thank you and and that's exactly how this is actually working people like you people uh in ottawa people in vancouver and and i could uh, i could start reading the list but then your podcast is gonna go really over time <laughs> but the reality is i i if i haven't said it before thank you to everyone who's mobilized this because it, although I may have started the match, although we may have put the ask out and tried to organize it and get it down to one night and provided some assets, all these people across the country want to show their love and support for the industry. And that's really how it happened. They asked their friends and they asked their friends. And I don't know any other industry that could have done that. Man, I, when I think of the tax brokers trying to unite to light up a town, I'm like, you guys don't have that capability, but we do. We can do it. We do. We do. Yeah. They, they can't even get it together to do everyone's taxes. <laughs> we need them. They're, they're essential for sure. No, we do. But, they're, uh, and actually, they're a central part of our industry as well, right? The money managers yeah, should be talking absolutely. about it as well. I, we can make jokes about that. Yeah. We That's how we're, we do. We're just Tough joking, tax brokers. We That's love right. you guys too. We do love, <laughs> love everybody. That's part of the new being the pirate. Love everybody. <laughs> Lovely, lovely, wonderful, caring, communal pirates. Arg. <laughs> Thank you so much, Morgan. Thank you. <laughs>